0: Hello and welcome to The Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book.
1: I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark State, and today's show is brought to you by the people who keep this show going. And those are our patrons over on Patreon and our academates on The Bestseller Academy. Now, if you want to get involved with The Academy... The doors are opening soon, but you can go and check it out now. You can sort of have a look around, have a nose around. Go to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. You can register your interest. You can get on the list there. You can have me and Mr. D as your tutor. Imagine that. Or if you want to support us on Patreon, pop over to Patreon and there's a support button on our website. You can find out. There's loads of extras, hours and hours of extra stuff over there. And uh, check it out and keep the show going. Mr. D, how are you? I'm doing well and it's getting ever closer to that 400th episode isn't it Mr (gasps) Oh, The live show the live show is coming as announced in last week's episode Uh, we're coming up to 400 episodes of this podcast yes four blooming hundred how did that ever happen and we're going to be celebrating with a special live show that's going to be at Waterstones in Canterbury you can join me and a panel of amazing writers including Rowan Coleman Penilla Hughes Nadine Matheson and Julie Wassmer after six years and 400 episodes so we, we, we've been around a bit and we, we, the thing we've never really asked is, is it writing a job for life in these uncertain times, can an author really earn a living from just their writing? So our authors share their experiences of being an author in an ever-changing world. Now, Rowan and Julie, they've been doing this for quite some time. You know, you remember Julie came on the show, told us about writing freestanders, Rowan's amazing career so far. Then Penilla and Nadine, they're quite new to this. They're two three books into their career. So they're going to be sharing their different perspectives on this. And also, it's a celebration. It's going to be wine. It's going to be cake. There's going to be a chance to meet the authors. I'll be there. There's book signings, lots of surprises, and it's going to be streamed online too. So it's Wednesday, 31st of August, 6.30pm uh, UK time, Waterstones Canterbury in person and online. I'm going to put a link in the show notes uh, so you can check it all out there.
0: And if you want to get a reminder by email as well, don't forget to sign up to... bestseller experiment newsletter because we will be actually putting that in uh in the next couple of weeks as well to get like links to the live show and all that so make sure you sign up to the newsletter if you want to get notified and reminders as to when it when it's all happening so mr stay it's been a fantastic a fantastic week here in canada how about in the uk
1: Yes, all very good here. I went to the, um, as I mentioned, I think in last week's episode, I um, I went to the RNA conference. There's lots of conferences and fairs and book fairs going on. A lot of people went to Harrogate Crime Festival, which I didn't go to. And I think anyone who didn't go had definite a festival envy because it seemed like everyone was there. But I went I went to the RNA which was absolutely amazing, and met lots of listeners, which was great. Um I met Steve Gowland and Donna Gowland, and we'll be talking about them at the end of the show in the social media bit as well. It was lovely to meet them. Steve gave me a copy of his new book as well, Fantasy Writers, SC Gowland. He writes, This is amazing. Um so yeah, I've had a. it's been great. been Poodling up and down the country, meeting people, going into bookshops, selling books, all that malarkey. It's um I'm in that kind of um Period. With all the excitement of Ghost of Ivy Barb, my new book has kind of simmered down. But, you know, I'm still people who, it's these people who, you know, take, who don't read it on day one, funnily enough, who actually take a bit of time to read it. And, and yeah. I'm starting to get feedback on it as well. And people are really enjoying it. So it's been, it's been a good summer. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it.
0: Oh, fantastic news! It's fantastic, and it's been a good summer of interviews as well. And we've got an absolute cracker oh, yeah. today from someone who who grew up in a place that's very dear to my heart, Swansea oh, yes. in Wales. Yeah, where wow. I spent a good number of years of my life uh, overlooking the ocean. There, that was that was a great day. But tell us about our amazing author this week, Mark. Missed another yes. Mark,
1: Mark Ellis. Mark Ellis, yeah. Thriller writer from Swansea, as you say. Former entrepreneur as well. And we might touch upon that uh, in the conversation after the interview. Um, but he he was very much affected by his parents' experience of the Second World War. His father was in the Navy, and his mother told him s- stories of watching you know, Swansea being bombed during uh, d- during the war as well. And so he he's had a fascination with World War II and the home front. And he's got this incredible series set during the second world war featuring dci frank merlin as he battles again against wartime crime and he's got a new book dead in the water set in the summer of 1942 and it's absolutely fascinating stuff so we discuss all sorts of stuff but we we talk about how he immerses himself in research prior to writing a draft we talk about the best resources for historical research and of course because we're british we discuss the weather of course we do. That's mm. what
0: we, we do, <laughs> don't we? Absolutely. So let's find out how the weather is with Mark chatting to the really inspiring Mark
1: Ellis. Mark Ellis, welcome to the bestseller Experiment. How are you today, sir? I'm very good, Mark, and thank you very much for having me on this wonderful podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. And we're here to talk about your new book, Dead in the Water, which is the fifth book in the DCI Frank Merlin series. And this series fascinates me because um, you're writing about the Second World War. I write about the Second World War, uh, particularly the home front as well. You're in London. I'm out in rural Kent. So I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. But first of all, tell us about Dead in the Water and where we find Frank Merlin in the summer of 1942.
2: Well, sure. I'll just say in passing, I think your book's set in World War II a slightly different focus than my book's. Yes, they are a bit. Although I have to say, I haven't read any, but they sound very interesting. So I'm happy to promote you too, Mark. Okay? Thank you very much. I
1: appreciate it. Okay.
2: Dead, dead, dead in the Water. Dead in the Water is set in August 1942. Um, so, so my the whole series progresses at six to nine monthly intervals uh, from the Beginning of the War. Uh, now this is the fifth book. He's in August 1942. Uh, the last one, uh, well it's, it's gone January 1940, September 1940, June 1941, December 1941. So now August 1942. Next one's going to be Spring 43. You, you can work out there's going to be a few more books in the series unless I drop dead. Uh, so, um, do and that. that was always my idea to write a book. <laughs> it was always my idea to write, uh, you know, a, a long haul series, uh, portraying, uh, obviously, the fictional crimes that he has to uh, solve and so on, but to set it against uh, as accurate a picture as I could create of life on the home front, and also to have, without being too didactic and boring, a sort of slight running uh, running story about what's happening in the war, hmm.
1: generally because mm. crime this is this is something we that not a lot you know we, we talk about the home front we're all in it together sticking together rationing hardship you know all that kind of thing but crime was pretty rampant during the war wasn't it? you had blackouts the streets were dark there were the great opportunities for criminals weren't there
2: there were and uh when i started out i used to speak to people about crime and um and everyone had a sort of rosy tinted view that criminals in the war must have sort of played along and toned down our activities as part of the stiff upper lip British spirit. (laughs) And of course, it was, as you say, completely the opposite. Crime um, in the war years grew about uh, 60% between 1939 and 1945. Um, There there were a number of conditions that made uh, opportunities for criminals huge. You mentioned the blackout. Uh, There's uh, rationing. Uh, which gave huge scope for forgery and theft of ration books, petrol coupons, clothing coupons, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously when, when Britain was being bombed, that, that uh, created chaotic conditions, which criminals could exploit. Um, and, and then again, the police were overstretched. Uh, they lost, obviously they lost a lot of their good men to the army or the Navy or the air force. And so, uh, yeah, they had a great time. There was a, There was a, a criminal called Mad Frankie Fraser. I don't know if you remember. Oh yes, it. yes, I know that. Yeah, he, he had some. He had his um, uh, biography, or autobiography ghosted. It's quite a few years ago now, but he mm-hmm. did. He did the tour of the chat the chat show circuit. I think he was on Wogan or something, and he said, "You know that that four letter word um, Hitler. Why did he <laughs> give in so easy? We were having a great time." <laughs>
1: Oh dearie me, Frankie. Uh, let's, let's talk about let's talk about your your protagonist, DCI Frank Merlin, because originally I believe he was supposed to be like a, a Londoner, Cockney, but he has a slightly different background, doesn't he? Tell us about him.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I originally, I can't actually rem- remember the original name I had for him now, but it was Harry something. But yeah, he was going to be a sort of bog standard London Cockney. I mean, still, he's pretty much a Londoner. I mean, he's born and bred in London. But I was on a holiday in Spain and I just thought, let's make him slightly more exotic. So I gave, gave him a Spanish father who um, was a sailor out of Corona and ended up uh, before the First World War in London and fell in love with a girl, um, married her. Um, his name was Javier Marino. So he married um, his wife, uh, Merlin's mother, at some point, And they ran a chandlery shop together. And then at some point, he got fed up with people mispronouncing his name and he changed his name to Harry Merlin. And Frank Merlin, who'd been born Francisco Merino, became Frank Merlin. And um, it's a sort of different, slightly different perspective. I mean, the the main impact in the story as it's gone on is that when he's irritated or something or, you know, or or angry, he can swear in Spanish. That's pretty (laughs) much the only reference to it. Although there are, you know, there are, I bring in storylines of his. His family, he's got one sister who's gone to marry a cousin in northern Spain. And he, in the current book, that features to, to a little extent. So it's it's there in the background very, very occasionally in the
1: foreground. I love the name Merlin because obviously there's a magical thing there, but also it's the engine they put in a lot of the aircraft in the Second World War. Is that a deliberate indeed,
2: choice? Yes. Uh, well, I was aware of that too. But I, I suppose I just, the thing that came to me was Merino, uh, which of course is uh, a type of sheep. But that, so that does no relevance to his character, but so Marino led naturally to Merlin. But I, then I was aware also of the of the engine side of things. So yeah, so yeah, I'm 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 happy with the name as I chose it. Now you know, sometimes I think you pick names and you think, well, I don't know, I wish I'd gone a different way. But I'm very happy with his name. Wonderful stuff.
1: Uh, now the thing with setting this book in summer of 1942 is the Americans have finally shown up. And I, I don't know about you, Mark, but um, my books uh, are still set in 1940. Uh, and my my agent keeps going, can't you just slip one American in there so we can sell the books to the Yanks? Come on, slip. There must have been some. And I don't know, there weren't any, especially in rural areas. Is it is there some sort of relief to have the Americans in here so that you can start selling internationally or has it made no difference to you?
2: Well, well, yeah, yes and no, but my first book, um I did have Americans in my first book mm. because it was all based on murders in and around the American embassy. And the ambassador at that time was Joe <laughs> Kennedy and Joe Kennedy's ah, an interesting yeah. character, yeah. from his own right, and although he was he he has a scene, he has a scene he, he's he's actually slightly off stage because when there was a prospect of bombing, he scuttled back to America, and he didn't spend much time here, even though he was mm. the ambassador. But I do have a scene where he's sunning himself on a beach in Florida. Talking to a stockbroker, and uh, I have I had have the fun of writing that scene. But yeah, it is quite nice to bring in the Americans now, and they play a major part in the in the plot of uh, the current book, the new book.
1: Yes, I saw, and again, you're taking something that. Uh, I love the way you surprise readers or at least give readers a new perspective on something, because this isn't just the regular GIs. You've got African-American soldiers in there and there's sort of racial strife between the the white and the black soldiers. That's another thing that people tend to gloss over when it comes to the war, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, I, it was a big thing. Uh, the yeah. racial prejudice was was huge. And, um, you know, I, I, I'd be wary of what, what your words to use about our own racial prejudice at that time. We didn't have that many uh, black people in Britain at that time. Uh, So it was all quite new when all these people came in. And there was actually quite a lot of shock on the British side at the way um, American soldiers were treated. There was uh, um, a well-known case in which uh, an American soldier was charged with rape. Rape was a capital offence in the war for the Americans. Uh, He was rapidly convicted and sentenced but the evidence uh, seemed to be very, very flimsy. And um, where, where the city of Bath, which is where the alleged offence took place, raised a petition of 30,000 people uh, to review the case, asking the Americans to review the case. And they did. And Eisenhower uh, basically let him off and sent him back to his unit. But I, I mentioned that in passing, one of the other factors there is, when I say the Americans reviewed it, is that um, from, from the period of my of the current book, um, legislation was introduced in the House of Parliament to give the Americans jurisdiction over any alleged crimes involving any of their people. So, uh, one of the story in one of this storylines in the current book, uh, there is a black soldier who's suspected of something. Merlin starts to investigate, but then he's pulled off because it's when the new registration, the new new regulations come in, mm. and it's uh, taken over by a character, I happily admit to be to borrowing from in the heat of the night. <laughs> they're the sort of Rod Steiger character, American, <laughs> um, and, and you know, and that's that's a that's part of the conflict of the story. Is Merlin thinks that the black soldier is innocent. Um, he obviously the Americans, uh, well, Rod Steiger character doesn't, and uh, that's yeah. Let's say that's one of the principal elements of the plot. Brilliant. I'm, stuff. I'm going sort of back generally. I think when you asked me at the very beginning, what, what you know, what I was thinking about when I started the book. Um, um my original concept, uh, it's always the same here. I, I always do my research. My, the ideas come from my research. And I'm a seat-of-the-pants writer. I don't plan it all out. Mm-hmm. I have a few ideas in my mind, and I just get going. But the original concept, I read a biography of someone called Kalus Kolbenkian, who not many people have heard of, but he was at that time probably the richest man in the world. Um, he was famously called uh, Mr. 5% he basically he he had introduced most of the oil firms american british continental into the middle east from early on in the 20th century and amassed a vast fortune and he ended up living in in portugal uh, during the war and I, I, and i lisbon was was a hotbed of spies and treachery because we had all the nations together, but it was a neutral country. Mm. So uh, an Nazi could be sitting across a roulette table from a Brit mm. uh, and so on. And I, I originally conceived that much of the story would take place in Lisbon. But I got, uh, Gulbenkian comes into the story. And one of the elements uh, that's important is that Gulbenkian put together a massive art collection. And you can still see most of it today in the Gulbenkian Museum in Lisbon. And um, I then let that led me down a path of thinking about all that art that was looted from Jewish families, rich Jewish families before the war. And that then basically gave me, uh, sorry, I'm using the words basically too much. (laughs) But it it gave me the the, the fundamental driver of the the story. And then the American side came in as a subplot, but it's, it's really the principal part of the book is about art that was looted from Jews before the war, somehow ends up in London. Gulbenkian from afar wants to buy it
1: and then all sorts of skullduggery takes place wonderful stuff let's talk about your process because you do immerse yourself in your research particularly the specific period and you mentioned those specific months did you choose those months for a reason were, were, were they a great confluence of events that were, were great for drama you know I, I usually
2: pick the date before working out whether big <laughs> for drama and um the period of my next book, which I've picked, which is spring 1943, is not quite as not as dramatic as some of the previous periods, but however, it's still pretty interesting. Yeah. So I, I mean, I I, I did launch. I can't remember if I picked the date of um, my my book set in December of 1941. Um, I think that that book. Um, uh, that's a death in Mayfair. That 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 has, of course, the background of Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor yeah. and, and stuff like, like that, which which goes into the book. And and uh, my second book was set against the background of the Battle of Britain. So that that obviously is quite an interesting period too. But I, I think all of them are interesting when you do the when you deep, go deep down, you find there are lots of things, uh, very strange things. I mean, it's not going to be part of my book or anything today. But I I, I tweeted something which I discovered. Uh, um, very odd that uh, on this day in uh, 1942, a uh, British army invaded Madagascar. And Madagascar was controlled by the Vichy French, so the Vichy French were, of course, on the other side. Yeah. So we went to battle with Vichy French, won, and then a year later, handed over to De Gaulle's Free French. And I just thought that's a sort of obscure little bit. but yeah, yeah. It's not going to feature. It. I'd love to feature it in my books, but I think it's the wrong time. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's before yeah. my last book. I can't do it. <laughs> but now, there are always funny little things like that that just crop up that you know you can use in the books. Mm. But you, are, you have to be careful also that you know you don't shove things in books. Oh, look, look how clever I am! I know this. Yeah, shovel yeah, yeah. it all in there, and then people get bored.
1: Mm. But talk, talk about so you um before you write your first draft, you spend I read somewhere I think like three or four months immersing yourself in the period. What have you found to be the best? resources for researching uh historical fiction
2: when I, when I when i started out you know when i was writing my first book which i didn't really know what, what the heck i was doing anyway you know took me quite a long time and so that was in uh, around about i think i started 2005 2006 and then it was published in 2011 i used to go to cube public records office because the internet was not so advanced then right. and i used to go through all the old newspapers um uh, looking at interesting headlines and th- that was great I, re- I really did enjoy that at the bottom line out loud now is that you don't need to go to libraries i still go to libraries but you can get an awful lot on the internet if you know if you want to find out what the weather was like on a particular day uh in London or in oxford or wherever you can do it and you know if you want to find out which in the battle of Britain which squadrons were up and, up in the air at a particular time which weren't you can do that Um, Over and above what you can find on the internet, I mean, I've I've built up a fairly good library of diaries, biographies. You know, obviously I've got Churchill's uh, books about the war. I've got Alan Brooks' diaries. I've got Harold Nicholson. There's a new edition of Chip's Channel has just come out. So I I, I use that too. All that sort of stuff. And then uh, a lot of biographies. So uh, Death in Mayfair, which was book four, is set against the backdrop of the British film industry. And that was particularly vibrant during the war. You know, there were lots of studios, very, mm-hmm. very active. So I read, read some really good books about that. And then I thought, well, I'll read about people like Alexander Corder, um, the film producer, who was around then. And then I started to read about uh, film stars and who might, might or might not have shady backgrounds. And I read about Rex Harrison, who had a very interesting life. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you know, Corder, in his own way, finds his way into the book. Complete, you know, part of him finds his way into the book. Part of Rex Harrison gets into the book, and a few other people. Um, so, so that, so that's how it goes. And but I don't, as I say, plan it out. I just sit down and let it go or let it come.
1: I suppose the thing. I mean, internet research—you can say, right, I need the weather on a specific day, and you you put that into a search engine, and, and it comes up. But when you go into someone like. Q public records or libraries or or biographies as well there are those happy accidents there are those things you discover that you weren't even looking for and then suddenly seem essential and i love those moments have you had many of those
2: yeah well i I, you know i I think i can talk freely about rex harrison because he's long dead you know he had a a very tortured relationship with lots and lots of women he didn't treat his women very well Mm. and i was look i was thinking of having a Character, film star character, who, who you know is a bit on the shady side as regards his his sex life and and, and other things too. So yeah, I, there was there was lots of material in there that I found. And Alexander Cordray, I'd actually read the biography of him many years ago, and he's a fascinating character. But I, I, you know, when he started out in Eastern Europe and made his way to Paris and so on, and then to London, all of that is just great material. I think you know, uh, again. When I started writing first, I put way too much of it in and I trimmed it way back. But I've still got the little bits that I, I feel happy to have in there now.
1: Wonderful. And actually, I need to ask you specifically about the weather because that's something I spent 20 minutes trying to look up and then gave up. What website are you using to, to find out the weather and, on specific
2: days? Um, you know, I don't think there's a sort of general website. I just look up weather, weather, London, whatever day. I mean, admittedly, I'm not, I'm not, I'm generally looking at London. Yes. um and and not bit places in the country maybe it's more difficult but I, I i'm yeah there's no specific website i just put in weather london 1942 may and and i something comes up <laughs> so sorry I can I can after this I can go and check my records and see what it is. <laughs> That'd be handy.
1: Yeah, I think in the countryside it's it just becomes so much more difficult. There's just fewer and fewer records. Now you have, of course, you know, have
2: you have records of whether, you know, in the records of the of the uh of, especially in the Battle of Britain when the planes were flying and so on, yes. if you
1: work it you can work it out through that too. We've got a we've got a fantastic Spitfire museum up the road here, which is really, really handy and uh, oh, yeah. it's, it's a great right. resource. Um, now let's talk about your journey to publication because you started out as a barrister, but you're also an entrepreneur and did very well as an entrepreneur. Was there anything that you've learned from that entrepreneurial world that you've carried over into your writing? Any any sort of is there a sort of mindset that you think will help writers? Never,
2: never- give up. Right. You know, so um, so yes, I was a barrister for a while. Then I worked for other people and I started a computer company with a good friend and partner of mine. And uh, we had many, many times when we could have gone under. There were many, many people who told us we would go under. And somehow or other, we survived and went on and eventually made a success of it. And I think you've got to have the same attitude with writing. You've got to put up with uh, people and you know, millions of people uh, OK, maybe not millions, thousands of people said to me, Mark, you know, it's almost impossible to get published. You know, just don't bother. Just if you want to do it for your own fun. But, you know, you won't make it. And um, and we I think we know when I speak to uh, other writing friends and colleagues, there are the people who have probably got many, many people who've got the talent to do it, but they haven't got the persistence. You've just got the you put up with it you know you had my, with my first book i sent it out left right and center i think maybe i got you know out of 100 uh, applications maybe i got one person saying well you know you might have something but they don't they wouldn't take the book on and i self-published the first book and uh, i self-published the first two books and what happened and then then i found a smaller publishing company uh, called accent press in wales and then of course accent press got taken over by hachette mm-hmm. so now i'm published by hachette and 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 Hachette are getting behind me and giving me a lot of support and 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 are very encouraging and think I'm not wasting my time, thank God. So uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's how that, that's how it all happened. But um, you know, and when you when you self-publish, I think things the attitude to self-publishing is, is changing a bit now. And I do sense. have one or two I have one or two friends who do very well as self-published authors mm-hmm. and and write very good work. Um, and they had they had been published by. Um, what's one traditionally published as one says yes yes. Uh, but they decided they'd do better self-published which is interesting but i certainly when i you know got my first book self-published in uh, 2011 now there was a very sniffy attitude to it and and i remember going to a dinner party and some people had invited me uh, you know hearing i'd written a book and when i told the guy and he was he was a a writer in the art world when i told him i'd self-published it was all very very sniffy and I never got invited back, you know, but um, <laughs> don't know. Oh, Connor, it's not the end of the world. No, not <laughs> at I all. Think, I, think, I think I'm glad the I'm attitude has changed, but obviously I'm glad that I'm with a very good publisher, uh, you know, who did a, a, an excellent editing job on, on this uh, this book and have been very, very
1: positive and uh, very helpful. Wonderful stuff. Excellent. That's really cool to know. So you, what's coming next? Are there going to be more Frank Merlin? Are you... Because the plan is, I believe, it's to get through the whole war with Frank, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, so, so that's probably another four or five books, uh, right. as I say, yeah. but, uh, as long as I don't drop dead. <laughs> 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 but um, I do have other ideas. I mean, I, I uh, my first idea before I thought about doing uh, World War II, um, and I still have it at the back of my mind, is a Daniel Defoe type fictional character in the end of the 17th century because I think that Daniel Defoe was fascinating mm. not only did he write Robinson Crusoe but he was a he was a spy he was a pamphleteer he was a businessman he was a bit of a crook mm. and I thought I could have uh someone like him in a rather George MacDonald Fraser type mode right. writing his memoirs and going back to all sorts of interesting things that happened in the late 17th century I mean I and the late 17th century is not not an area, area that's been unplowed. There are people, some excellent books recently have come up set in 18th century London, but I still have that in the back of my mind. But meanwhile, I feel, you know, it's been a long, long haul to get sort of Frank Merlin recognised and appreciated, and, you know, now, you know, you know, the books are doing well. So I, I think I, I better stick at it for another four books at least. And then it's um, not to say I couldn't write two books at the same time, but I, that might be a bit of a stretch. <laughs> yeah, wow. so, so as i said so i say you know the next book i haven't got a title for it yet will be spring 1943 i have a few rough ideas mingling in my mind i've been reading some royal um, biographies about the royal family or lesser figures of the royal family some of whom again got into some sort of interesting mm. shady uh experiences <laughs> which i could fictionalize or you know i mean sometimes as as i think you know I have the real characters there, and I have the fictional characters, and you can mix them all up a bit. So those are the ideas that are sort of blending in my mind. But I've only just started that two or three months of research, and and usually something else will shoot out at me. You know, the Madagascar thing is no use, but something like that will crop up, and I'll I'll think, okay, let's do that one. A go.
1: Wonderful stuff! Can't wait. Really looking forward to it. Mark Ellis, thank you so much for speaking to us today, and hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you, Mark. It's a great pleasure.
0: Now, I think, Mr. Mark Ellis, I have to say his surname, so we don't get confused here, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Stay. Um, but, but Mark's approach—I love this idea of of picking a period in time and kind of working your way through yeah. it, and but 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 kind of like breaking it into small chunks because it something about being, creating those boundaries is, is something that I've I, I absolutely love the idea of the, the idea that. You just have to focus in that, you know, in that first few months of the year or the third months of the year,
1: whatever it might be for this. Absolutely brilliant. It's very true. I mean, our books are very different. Mine are sort of magical. His are very much grounded in reality. But I do exactly the same thing. So the first three books of my series are set June, July, August of 1940. And one of the first things I did when starting a draft for each book was I – because you go on Wikipedia – And you can go, what happened in that month? And you can go through and go, oh, okay, that happened and this was happening. So you can drop in little mentions of it as you go through. And you're right, it gives you little touch points, little kind of boundaries that you can work with, which is is really, really useful and inspires little story nuggets and and moments in the story. So, yeah, I I love all that. And, of course, it's all there online to look up now, better than ever before.
0: And I, I really respect authors who sit down and write an entire dynasty or an entire era but i think the challenge with that is it's just so vast and huge and when you when you create these boundaries i always i always talk about how you how you can simplify writing how you and how you can simplify your life by just working you know making decisions for yourself a bit like how um uh, peter gabriel once said as a, as a you know a musician, he said he loved a project he once did where he just did covers of other artists because in the past, it was like this open, infinite world of like, well, what yeah. shall I create? I could do anything. But when you're given a cover, you you know a lot about, you know, you know a lot of things already before you even start. So you're starting from a place of simplicity. And so if an author's listening to this thinking, yeah, I've, I've really been struggling, got kind of lost in the quagmire of time in my novel, mm. maybe it's about time that you pulled in the beginning and the end of it. He knows the start date and the end date and give yourself something to focus on. I think that's a fascinating, fascinating approach.
1: Yeah, I've I do it's something I've only noticed recently is that I tend to write stuff that takes place in a very compressed time period. I've never really written much that takes place over a year. It's it's usually in a week. Uh, Funny, enough, I've brought right. book. F- Book four takes place over about thirty-six hours. It's really short. I love that compressed time period because I think if it, if I allow myself to say and then cut to one year later, I wouldn't know what to do with that. You know, I like yeah. I like squeezing it on. because the other thing as well when you're writing a story, particularly if it's a um, full-length story, you. Are often, you know, you're t- taking a character, you're taking them on a journey of change, and very often it's the most important thing that's happened in their life. It's the big pivotal moment in their life. It's where something, you know, we talk about the hero's journey, you know, they wake up one morning, an ordinary person, there's something extraordinary happens, and it's how they are never the same again. And even if you're writing a series where you've got the, a recurring character, this will be the most important thing that happens to them that day, that week, that month. So you have to think in that way of, uh, okay, this, this changes everything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's a really, it's a really good thing to think about. I think a lot of people miss it because, um, that you, you think about character development. I think this is where the problem comes in. You talk about developing a character and we instantly think, well, you know, how do we develop as characters in our own life? Well, we develop over a a period of time a longer period of time um but you know a character can learn a lot in 36 hours or even a a week or a month so yeah good good thing to kind of hang on to there the other thing that i found really interesting was this idea of researching up front and actually researching a lot up front Mm. and we've heard the kind of different takes on this we've heard Ian rankin talk about you know Don't do much research up front. Fill in fill in the blanks. You know, once you've finished the first draft, but there's something to be said for both. But I think it also it requires a first a certain level of fascination in a subject to
1: do three to four months of research on it up front. Do you think? Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I'm. I I set my books during the war because I have a fascination with it and a certain level of knowledge, Mm. uh, but. Uh, you know they say a little knowledge is a dangerous thing so I go in cautiously and my focus is on the characters and the story and then because like I said in last week's episode I finished the first draft of the novel and now I'm realizing where the gaps are and I'm filling them in I'm also watching films set in the period that are giving me ideas for little layers of of stuff that I can sprinkle in to give it that sort of layer of authenticity Uh, but then you do you know there is a certain amount you have to do up front now whether you do that just because it's an interest and it's something you've always read about, that's fine. But if you want to get into the specifics, I mean the thing with Mark Ellis's books, the set in London, he picks the time period. So at least he's narrowing that down. He's saying, okay, for this book, he's talking about the summer of 1942. Okay, let's look at the summer of nine. What happened then? What was what was, you know, what, we've got the blitz in London, we've got and the crime in London and all that kind of stuff. So he can focus it down and then He's finding little gems that will inspire him to write on. And I think that's a, a really smart way of doing it. What, he, what he's not doing is opening every tome written about the Second World War. And blimey, there are a few of those. And flicking through and going, gosh, have I got to remember all this? Have I got to, you know, that that is um, that is the road to misery, I think.
0: But you know what? You know what? Let's just future cast for a minute. Imagine an author in 50 to 100 years from now coming back to the year of summer of 2022 talk about tomes i mean you think about (laughs) how much information has been created on the internet so in some ways it's a blessing to pick something pre-internet that was only like you know in print as opposed to digital because i and, and this brings me on to this subject about how the internet has changed research and writing because as i was listening to that interview it suddenly struck me and it's absolutely obvious when you think about it but i kind of started to think what did people do before the internet, and we went, we went to museums, we went to libraries, um, we talked to people who lived in those periods. But the internet's changed everything, hasn't it? Because we're almost, it's, it's a curse and a blessing. There's almost so much information that we can access, plus all the stuff that's been archived historically pre-internet as well. And mm. it really has changed, I think, maybe the,
1: the level of detail that people can go into if they want because of the internet. But is that a curse? It's like you say it's a curse and a blessing. And I can tell you the blessing of um, of archive research. So for book four of Woodville, I went to the, the Post Office Archives, which is next to the Post Office Museum in London. It's absolutely wonderful. They gave me because um, there was a there's a there was cause one of my characters is a a postman in um, in the fourth book. And it's an area that I didn't really know about. And I asked my postie about it. He said, "Go to the museum. Go to the archives. You can book a slot there, there." And there was a monthly magazine for post postmen and post office workers that ran up to September nineteen thirty nine. So and then it stopped because the war came along. Um, so I had to save paper and stuff like that. But that you know, I'm going. I'm flicking through these old episodes, just looking for nuggets, looking for nuggets. But what the thing? That delighted me the most and told me more about the life of someone who worked in the post office in that period were the adverts, the (laughs) magazine adverts. They were saying there were things like um, these are the shoes that if you're a postman, these are the shoes you want. These are the bicycles that that they that they bought. Uh, This was the um, they would there were lots of adverts uh, saying, join the civil service, do this, take this exam. Do you know there were lots of little um, adverts about betterment? You know, mm. be you know, you're a postman, but maybe you could be a civil servant, kind of thing. Take this exam, send off for this course. That gave that helped me shape the character. I was thinking, okay, he's someone who maybe resents what he's doing and wants to be a better person, but he's been you know. So it's it sparked all this little stuff that and um, you know sweets that they would use cigarettes, tobacco, that, and it really helped. Now with the internet, you don't get that. I mean, we yeah. have things like the Internet Archive. But, mm. you know, the magazines, I've got, you know I've got, every, you know, I've got every issue of Empire magazine over there on the shelf. And you go, just go back to, I mean, Empire was, what, 89 it started. So you look at those adverts for the early 90s full of VHS uh, videotapes, full of hi-fi, things that we just don't really think about now, you know? Mm. So it's the, it's the context of the printed page is so important. you're researching because it tells you how people live i mean some of my favorite accounts on twitter are things like they have pages from the old argos catalogues you know and they'll they'll have things and it tells you so much about how people lived so that archive research i still think is really 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 important but if i do want to find out what the weather is and i have found i found ways of doing it Um, you know you you can google it and that stuff is immediate and it doesn't mean i have to go to the bloody met office and book an appointment or stuff like that you know so there's there's the there's a like says a blessing and a curse absolutely
0: the the other thing that mark mentioned as well which was interesting is he kind of um alluded to his kind of pre-writing career when he he was a very very successful entrepreneur um but it made me actually wonder you know people who it's, it made me think about what people do before they start writing and more importantly, right. how the things that they do before they start write, a writing career as such actually can be an incredible help to them and even maybe I go as far as saying a preparation for them Um and uh, weirdly enough, weirdly enough, uh, I was, <laughs> I was, I was coaching someone just this week who told me that they currently work in uh, in the post office in the US. Oh, and they wow! Want, yeah, and they which is kind of bizarre, <laughs> and they want to shift into the music industry, and um, you know. I was relating to them how actually a lot of the things that they've learned the discipline that they've learned in their in the routine of what they have to do they have to plan the route and they have to think ahead. I said all that stuff's going to be huge for you when you move into a new career. And I think a lot of people always look at their previous careers and think uh, you know it was a, a dead end job or something I hated or didn't enjoy, but I always con- you can always see that there's training happening for the thing that you're moving into. And to actually embrace that and then think, no, actually, this is a good thing. This is, a, this is worth throwing myself into. But in, in Mark's case, it made me think about how being an entrepreneur can be incredible training to become a writer. Because
1: actually, writers, I think, are entrepreneurs, especially oh, indie yeah. writers. You have to Abs- be entrepreneurial. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's much overlooked, I think. And it's, you know, it's, it's why that he said, never give up. You know, that's that's going to be the phrase for this this week's podcast. That's going to be the title of this week's podcast because it's a simple message. I mean, as an entrepreneur, you will. he said, you know, you, you have naysayers, you have people saying you can't do it, you have rejections, you have money problems, you come to the brink of uh, failure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you keep – and if you give up and s- step away, then that's the 100% way of, of failing and, you know, that's it, game over. But if you persist – then you do increase your chances of success. There's no guarantee of success, but you do increase your, your chances exponentially. So, yeah, yeah I think I absolutely. think you're right. And, of course, when well, you're up and running as a writer, that entrepreneurial thing has to keep going. You know, you've got to market yourself. You've got to publicize yourself. You've got to keep the money coming in. You've got to make sure you don't get screwed by a publisher. You know, all of those little things that yeah. go to uh, keeping the money coming in.
0: Well, for indie writers out there as well, I mean, you you think about, and that's the vast majority of, of, you know, writers now in the world, people that are kind of self-publishing and in indie, when you think about it, you know, writing is a a portion of what you do during your week. Uh, The Mm -hmm. rest of the time, you know, you're running a publishing company. I mean, people don't think of it like that, but I think if you're writing a book and you're going to self-publish it, you run a publishing company and actually own it, you know, absolutely embrace the fact that that's what you're doing because that then ties you into the fact that there is this entrepreneurial spirit around what you're creating. And whether it's a book or whether it's, you know, Mark's case, it was a technology company that you set up in the nineties, which, which went massive and was very successful, but you know, it doesn't matter ultimately what you're doing entrepreneurially, all the things that you're, you're, you're focusing on whether it's, the, you know, the product or the marketing of that product, or the creation of, you know, fans or customers, you know, it's all part of the same thing. And I think if people are willing to embrace that or willing to take small steps to start and realizing that they are entrepreneurs or a mini entrepreneur, like whatever feels safe and comfortable for you, you're going to grow within that space and you're going to become better at it. You're going to become more successful at it the more you do it. So, um, you know, and, and, and again, I think it's no surprise that, that Mark, has done so well in his career because of the fact that he's always pushed forward. He's always found a way, and um, mm. and there's you know everything kind of just just almost replicated what he's done in his previous career as well, which is fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah. Onwards, upwards. You know, it's uh, just when you think. Uh, I mean, I've had a very dodgy month. I've had such a roller coaster month this month. There's stuff yeah. I can't talk about, but there's like, oh, really. Oh, yeah. and the wind really really goes out your sails and you'll have a day i mean i had a day yesterday where i i had some news and i was like oh <laughs> and you, you just think kicking that kicking the pants was it it was yeah it was a bit um but you get through it you know this too shall pass you you know you'll have the good times you'll have the great times when things are wonderful and you're gonna have the, the crappy times too and you just have to ride out the storm. You do. They, you, all, you know what
0: they say, Mark? You know, as you start getting the higher highs, you also get the lower lows.
1: Right. Yeah. Right? And so <laughs> sometimes, you know, as, as, you,
0: as things start to really grow and develop f- for a writer and their career and anything you do in life, you know, and you get these higher highs, when the lows come, there's a bigger drop. Right. If you think about it, someone on top of a mountain <laughs> falling down the mountain, there's more to go. And, and it's how you get through those lower lows and recognizing that the reason why you're getting those lower lows is because you're actually really, really moving forward in the career. But it doesn't make, I mean, look at the stock market. If you want a model, I mean, you know what? I mean, well, it's never, it's never dull and boring. It's always up, and down, every single minute of every single day. And, and I always think about the roller coaster of life. And I always say this to people, I remind my, my clients who do it at coaching and academy, I always say to people, the last thing you want in life is a constant, all right? Because a constant is basically a flat line on a graph. And what do, what's a flat line? <laughs> you don't want that in life. It's, well, yeah. about, it's about the roller coaster. It's about the highs and the lows.
1: It's how you celebrate the highs and you deal with the lows. It's yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's funny you should say that. I mean, the last couple of years at Orion, the nature of my job changed. And I was basically looking at spreadsheets all day. And I did not sign up to look at spreadsheets all day, and I was flatlining. You know, it was that flatline. <laughs> like so, that, right? yeah, I, I would much rather have the day I had yesterday with the kick in the pants, knowing that there's going to be, you know, uh, a, a, you know, a, a wonderful moment around the corner. I hope, hopefully, yeah, uh, no, but, you absolutely, know, and all, and all yeah. the joy that's come with it, rather than yeah. staring at another bloody Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, well, this is it, right? <laughs> absolutely. So, you know. And, and, and it's good.
0: It's great to share all that stuff because you know what? As I said, it's the human experience. Oh, yeah. Every single person listening right now, listening to this at this very minute has either had an amazing day or an absolutely crappy day, <laughs> yeah. or maybe somewhere in between, <laughs> but, but there's going to be like, you know, there's going to be people like thinking, oh, oh, I'm having a great day. And others like, oh, it's just worst day ever. So, yeah. you know, the podcast is here to lift you up. You know, if you've had a bad day, <laughs> the podcast is here <laughs> to lift you up. And if you're having a great day it's about celebrating the fact that those days are great and you know what that's the celebration of life in all of its and that's why that's why i coach mark i just i'm so fascinated by the human journey and the human experience and i'm slowly mm-hmm. slowly myself just starting to understand it <laughs> it's like, you know and that's what that's what it's about it's like there's never a point when we get to the end of our life and we'll have figured it all out and have all the answers it's just Man continually fascinating and mind-blowing so yeah if you're having a hard day today folks tomorrow will be a better day uh, yes so yeah or or, or, or slightly less bad <laughs> if <laughs> yes. you put it in that context brilliant stuff so mr state um talking of celebrations and
1: talking about yes. the highs let's celebrate some some of the stories that we've had this week on email and social media no, this is wonderful so kate baker who's uh, with the academy And she said, one of my goals with the Bestseller Academy back in December when she joined up was to buy a turntable when she had a decent piece of writing news. So when the people at the Book Guild told me they would be publishing my novel on the 28th of February, 2023, guess what I bought? And she's got this wonderful uh, turntable uh, in a little case. It looks fantastic. And she said, oh, my vinyls need dusting. So Kate, fantastic that you've achieved your goal her book's coming 28th of february you're going to be hearing more and more about this book trust me because i i had the chance to read it and it's terrific um big congrats on that kate that's terrific news and we should and um, brilliant kate and we should explain
0: to everyone listening that this is actually a thing that we do in the academy one of the mm-hmm. first things you do when you sign up you create a thing called a dream declaration which is what we talk about on the podcast a lot of people are scared to do it but it's all about sharing your goal Vulnerably with everyone else in the academy, Everyone else has to do it. But the other really fun part of that is that you have to say when you want to try and achieve it by, and most importantly, what you're going to do when you achieve it. And we've had the best. I've never heard of buying a buying a, a, a record player. That is absolutely brilliant. Yes. But we have had adopting a puppy, yep. which was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> we've had we've had many bouts of drinking, uh, various very like. Um, Uh, Very ancient bottles of whiskey. We've -hmm. had spa days. Uh, We've had, uh, I think that one of the best ones was treating my family to Mm -hmm. a weekend away. I love that one. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like that. Thank you so much for hanging in there with me. So... You know, it's about, and so I want everyone to think about this. I want you to think about how you will celebrate when you reach a milestone, because too many of us just pass that milestone. Oh, great. Yeah. Books outright to the next thing you've got to stop and enjoy and celebrate the moment. So yeah, if you want to do that in the academy, actually, it's, I mean, I think that's one of the best things about the academy. The fact that when you come in, you have to do this dream declaration. So if you, if you want to get involved in that, maybe start thinking about what your dream declaration might be for the next milestone you want to reach in your writing journey
1: speaking of declarations uh inkborn blade so inkborn blade who is uh amazing on twitter do do check out inkborn blade Uh, back in january he said um he set a couple of public declarations so uh, he hit his first one which at the end of january was to finish the current, current draft and then he sent second one by the end of july i'll have finished first draft of a new murder mystery crime thriller so i chased up inkborn blade just before the deadline because i do put these in my diary and he got back to me said it's finished all the words are typed out though they might not be in the right order that's a job for round two <laughs> <love that>. later <laughs> in the year He's written 75 words. There's a beginning, middle and an end and the killer gets their just desserts. Uh, it's a new genre for me. So I enjoyed getting to grips with different conventions. So huge congrats to Inkborn Blade. That Inkborn Blade, let us not forget, was the person who did his 200 words a day on the morning of his wedding. So yes. Yes.
0: <laughs> and and I, 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 <laughs> I love that idea. I think I want to redefine or rename the ending of the first draft to... i finish finished my book, it's just
1: the words are in the wrong order. <laughs> That's absolutely yes. lovely. Yeah, it's the old Morecambe and Wise joke, isn't it? Right, he's playing the piano. He says, I'm playing all the right notes, just not necessarily in the right order. Um, <laughs> and we've got a new uh public declaration. Now, I mentioned Steve Gowland. I met Steve and Donna Gowland at the RNA conference uh, a few weeks ago, which is lovely to meet then. Steve gave me a copy of his new book, Imagine the Fire, which is beautiful, beautiful color. um So Steve said uh he's set a new uh public declaration so he's uh he's intending to write a book but then not then he's gonna he's been self-publishing up to now but this one is going to tout around agents and publishers and if nothing happens within a year he's going to release it himself so i said oh that sounds a lot like a, a public declaration steve do you want to do you want to make it official so he has so yes he says it'll be finished by the end of september or in 66 days so uh, that is in the diary, Steve. Fingers crossed. We'll come back to that if and when it happens. I'm sure it will. He's an absolute, you know, machine, Steve. So uh, looking Good forward luck. to that. Good luck, Steve. Brilliant. So, folks, if you want to drop us a line, if you want to get in touch on social media, talk about anything. You can talk about your public declarations. You can talk about your wins. You can just talk about the weather. If you want, drop us a line. Go we to bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a contact tab there. We're bestseller uh, bestseller Experiment on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram. We are at bestsellerxp. XP. And if you've been inspired by mark or any of the other authors who've been on the show uh leave us a rating you know wherever you got downloaded this podcast from there'll be some way to rate us or give us a star rating make it a nice one make it positive tell all your writer friends come and find us and we can hear about their stories too brilliant stuff and I, it just got me thinking
0: mark how many marks have we had on the podcasts i can't even think are we up to, we must be up to about 12 maybe there's a lot of us about we've got a, a discipleship thing. going yeah. possibly yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> if anyone knows that maybe they could look back through now that's a really that would be our boy but, you know what well, uh, I,
1: I can probably do it. On the, i got the spreadsheet i can probably do it
0: we there. do we do want people to to know though that if they listen to this podcast for the first time yeah after all that stuff you said about spreadsheets, when i die and the can,
1: last can, thing i see is going to be a poxy excel yeah. spreadsheet <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um if you are if if you are listening to this podcast for the first time welcome and thank you for coming all the way to the end <laughs> with us but I do want you to know that we do interview other authors other than authors named Mark yes. just so you're aware it's not a weird cult thing it's not a weird cult thing that Mark and I <laughs> like to do but anyway um we hope you have a fantastic writing week we really look forward to joining you again next week hopefully to inspire you just a little bit more in your writing journey and you know what folks make this make this week a good week of writing break through some of those challenges you've got pick up pick up your pen dust off the computer keyboard if it's not been turned on for a (laughs) while and uh and write something write something fun you know take take mark mr mark ellis's advice and write something that you love that you're fascinated about that you'd love to spend a few months researching because you just want to learn more about it delve dive and enjoy yourselves and until next week it's a goodbye from mark one and a goodbye from mark two
1: goodbye